what I'm missing from Petro. I do not believe him. This is why I'm so mistrustful of him. And I didn't really didn't want him there. I'm having a revelation here. A revelation. I need to follow through with the things that I have been saying about innovation. Like I need everyone seated at the table. Otherwise, nothing good is going to come out. And that's why I felt so like caught by the poem of I want a president, right? Yeah, I want a president that is a fag. I want a president that has AIDS. I want a president that has lose, one, lose someone in their arms because of AIDS. Like all this kind of stuff. That that point really got me because you need someone that actually understands all these kind of issues. And that guy was in the middle of it. I need to make peace with that and maybe believe that he's actually going to know what is happening because of that past. Greetings, fellow travelers. Welcome to another episode of Gone Native. This is Miles Burke. This is the promised follow-up to the 2022 presidential election here in Colombia, the second round of voting, in which Gustavo Petro was elected president of Colombia, not unsurprisingly. To me, a lot of people were surprised by this, and a lot of people are feeling a lot of anxiety and disappointment about this result. Uh, Petro is a left-wing, leftist, extremely left-wing uh, politician. He was a member of the M19 guerrilla uh, during the 1980s and early 1990s when it became a political party, when they demobilized. Uh, and there's a lot of distrust for him and people like him in this country. However, he is incredibly progressive. Uh, he and his vice presidential candidate and his whole team, uh, Vice President Francia Marquez, an Afro-Colombian woman from Valle del Cauca, uh, which is the area around the department around the city of Cali. I believe she's from Valle del Cauca. I might be wrong about that. Um, but she is um, an activist, community organizer. A lot of people were into this campaign uh, primarily because of her. Um, I saw a lot of the same sort of... <clears throat> hyper-progressive, youthful, uh, hope and change kind of energy that we saw around the Obama presidential campaign. And then the Obama presidency turned out to be mostly a disappointment. It was mostly more of the same. Uh, they extended the foreign wars. He bailed out the big banks. Uh, the economy became even worse and ultimately resulted in the election of Donald Trump because people were so disillusioned with him. Uh, Donald Trump, interestingly, is a good amalgam for the only opposition left to Gustavo Petro in the second round of voting, which was a guy named Rodolfo Hernandez, who was 77 years old, a construction businessman, um, estimated his personal fortune at around $100 million US dollars. He was prone to saying pretty wild stuff about women's role in the home and in government and politicians. He believed all politicians were corrupt and evil and he hated them all. And so he wasn't part of any other political party or alliance. He was completely on his own. Um, and he reminded me in a lot of ways of Donald Trump. He reminded a lot of people of Donald Trump for all of those reasons. But he also reminded me of Ross Perot, who was another presidential candidate <clears throat> for a lot of us who are barely young enough to remember or too young to remember, who uh, campaigned between George H.W. Bush, the elder Bush for the Republicans and Bill Clinton on the Democratic side. We know one, Bill Clinton won, but Ross Perot was this independently wealthy uh, Texas oil tycoon who came out of nowhere and was buying 
uh, primetime television spots where he would stand up with with charts and uh, easel and explain to people why they were getting screwed by the politicians. And he got a lot of support. A lot of people voted for him, but it wasn't nearly enough to uh, win the presidency. It was kind of looking like Rolf Hernandez as the only alternative to Petro. By the time they got to the second round of voting, all their candidates had been eliminated. It was looking like uh, Hernandez. A lot of people might just kind of hold their noses and vote for Hernandez, even though he was sort of uh, unappealing in a lot of ways. Also 77 years old. I don't know if I mentioned that. So who knows if he would even survive to the end of his presidency, <laughs> which a lot of people were speculating about Donald Trump and now about Joe Biden. Um but uh, anyway, Petro ended up winning, and so you know we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, so this is a conversation with myself and my wife, Lena Yukuma, who is Colombian, just about her thoughts and feelings about what happened in this presidential election. So enjoy. Yeah. So I, I mentioned I would do this uh, just to update everyone on what happened with the election here in Colombia, which was that Gustavo yes. Petro, the progressive, highly progressive, um, leftist, former guerrilla from the M19 rebels in, in back in the 1980s. I mean, guerrilla is more of a political thing, I feel, for him than actual, like, you know, taking out a Kalashnikov and running into the jungle. It, was, it seems to me like one of those things, like... It did happen, you know? 25-year-olds do, and then they're, like, later in life, it's like, God, what was I thinking? It did happen. Did he pick up a Kalashnikov and run off into the jungle? They were in the in the demobilization of it. Of M nineteen? No, I know of M nineteen, but him personally. I mean, there is Everyone has a story about that. Like, mm. for example, I had an uncle that, uh, with the high guns for the M nineteen, like underneath his bed or like stuff like that. So get that mic a little closer to your face. Um. So the possibility is like you know huge for mm -hmm. him to have been doing that. You know? Yeah, I mean, who knows? So, we, we probably shouldn't speculate, but yeah. I mean, the fact remains he was clearly associated. He was a member of their political party when they demobilized and became a political party in the early 90s. Um, that party no longer exists. I don't know why. I was reading about the parties, but I don't know why they dissolved the, the M19 party before it just ran out of steam or just became too unpopular. Do you know? I have no idea. I actually ask you, do I have to be prepared for this podcast? It's like, no, I thought you might know. I don't know. Um, there's such a confusion of uh, political parties in the history of Colombia, which is one of the things that makes it so fascinating and why I thought it was an interesting subject. Um, because for the longest time, the, I'm, I have only the roughest understanding of like the history of political parties in Colombia. But for the longest time, it was literally just the liberals and the conservatives, those liberales and those conservadores. conservadores. Desde, like, since the founding of the country. Yes. In like 1810 or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So then they're fighting over power forever. There's all these little guerrilla wars that spring up and come down. And it's part of the story of Simon Bolivar and how the, the Grand Colombia, the original confederation, broke up and became all these different countries. And now since then, it was basically ruled by the liberals and conservatives until about the 1950s when, when shit started to get real, like the end of the 1940s. End of the 1940s, yeah. yes. And it was a clash of the country, basically. But um, the important thing is that communism wanted to enter the country, as in every country. But guess what? Liberals and conservatives wouldn't let a third party because it was a bipartisan country, which is interesting to me because it happens to your country. 
which is silly to me now having like more political views right agreed isn't, isn't that strange i mean i think it's super strange well, well the, the thing is this this <coughs> the thing i'm going to tell you the thing <laughs> the, thing the is polarization is the new thing. to us the thing here's the thing the polarization is new to us like we we were we i mean there's always been you know left and right progressive conservative back and forth um mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the extreme level of polarization we see today where where people have literally just started to like other otherize and completely demonize people who have different uh, a political ideology than themselves is like the severity of it is new to us in colombia it was there pretty much since the beginning the polarization yeah the polarization I mean, that's what actually, like, inspired the guerrillas because there wasn't, like, freedom of, like, having another party. And that is one of the, like, was the, one of the biggest problems. So uh, that's why when they demobilize, they create parties, political parties, because they were not invited to the table to talk, to talk about, like, different stuff in the country, and that happened also to FARC. They created their political party, which was a thing that they fought for, like, so many years, um, which is another, like, whole other story, right? But... <coughs> I guess what I wanted to follow up is, like... How do you feel? Do you feel very lost in politics in here? Completely. Having I'm <laughs> completely lost in politics here. Like, I, I see this happening in other countries. There are so many political parties. So, what happens to the U.S.? What happens to the U.S.? Yes. In the future, in terms don't, of political parties? I don't have they, no don't idea. They look, don't they look to other countries and say, like, why am I still doing this? You mean clashing, like, left versus right, liberal versus conservative? That is so silly. Like clashing, like physically clashing, like especially, especially if you look like wh which is your like Bernie Sanders party. I mean, he's part of the Democratic Party. He, he's the one with that. different, slightly different independent politics. Even though he votes along with the Democratic Party on just about every. And major the other issue. party is the Republican Party. Okay, the the party of the evil. The right. historically more conservative party. Okay, you know, those seen by many liberals as the party of evil. Those ones are solid. Might see it those ones are way. solid. But if you look to Democratic Party, it's so many different views. Like it's like the conservatives and the rest are like bundled up in just one party. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and that's you're right. Why, you're right. That, what? That's why they they never win and like all those kind of stuff is impossible. Oh, they, all, they always eat like, themselves from the inside. The Democrats, yeah. uh, as as is true with the political left in many countries, eat themselves alive from yeah. the inside because there are so many different disputing like ideologies and points of view who That's have come together because they all they all sort of share a common vision on what they see as like the the rights of man you know the rights of man and women the common rights of humanity like they, they all kind of see things generally the same way like at least in the past mm -hmm. they were against war mm -hmm. they were for like, <laughs> a woman's right to choose they were you know generally it was these kind of things that united i won't people. get you going on that even though they might have different agendas like they might be the um, the African-American groups wanting to promote African-American issues it might be the gay groups wanting to promote gay issues and they, they see those all as the most important so it's this kind of push and pull but it was always like the more kind of progressive agenda but now the progressive agenda seems to have been utterly captured by pro-war interests like nobody seems to be interested in voting against war anymore and the only ones left who are voting against war <laughs> war in the international 
like empire, imperial, United States sense where we're funneling weapons and money to another country to fight a proxy war with Russia, which is something we love to do, you know, historically. The only people left who are against that kind of thing in the United States now are on the like deeply conservative side. It's usually, it's now it's like MAGA people and like libertarians. They're the only ones left who are saying, who are saying, why are we still fighting all these endless wars around the world? Like what the hell are we doing? So I'm, I'm left looking at the former conservatives who were like the evil ones when I was growing up because I grew up in a very liberal community. I'm looking at these people and going like, they're the only ones, only ones left I really agree on on what really matters, which is so you're ending only the left, wars. You're only left with the MAGA people. Yeah, it's odd. Like, I don't uh, agree with them on most other things. <laughs> most things, let's say. But I think... So you're like the meme, like, are you guys together? And, you, and the MAGA people says yes. You say like, no. Yeah, but I'm still with them. Like, I'm still walking like, I guess we got to do this. I'm not, not walking into the Capitol now. Not, not doing any weird, participating in any weird That's QAnon problem, gatherings like, or riots or anything. If I, if I can have like a, like, a, like a theory, like a conspiracy theory, it's like literally those like extremist, like crazy people are like the only ones left talking about like against war. So there is nothing, like no argument to defend that because only crazy people are like, Only crazy people are against war. Yes. Those lunatics. I would. I, that would be a perfect, absolutely perfect, like uh, plot to actually like make this movement like lose cre credibility. Yeah, and you know, people talk about that. Like, this is nothing. These perspectives are nothing new. It's just like you yeah. were asking me, like, how we saw conservatives versus liberals in the U.S., and that's kind of the general. In the past, people might have said, like, a conservative, especially a neoconservative, like, in the 2000s, like the George Bush, Dick Cheney people were were much more pro-war. But now it seems like the Democratic Party is the one who's pushing these, like, the war in Yemen, uh, funneling weapons and money to Saudi Arabia. I'm going to stop um, you right there because <laughs> this is what I'm saying. You can only think of, like, two parties. Imagine, like... Having a, a multitude, like here. A pluralistic yeah. view of parties. Yeah. I mean, we got completely sidetracked. It was trying to explain what political parties look like to me here, which to me just looks like a giant mess. It is a giant mess because you know what? It's always a giant mess. It should be a giant mess. Should be. I agree. Should be. Yeah. Should be a giant mess. Should be lots of competing interests, all kind of like pushing in a general direction. Pushing and pulling against each other in a general direction that the society at large kind of wants. Yeah, I kind of see like that happening in other countries. I have no idea, like how you get it so bad in the U.S. Like how, how can you only have two sides? The polarization. Like, literally, you mean? literally, just like seeing like the the final round of this election, the second round. Can I say that? I feel like it's a boxing match. Yeah, I mean we should probably explain that too. But anyway, the second round of voting. Yeah. Uh, it was just two candidates and I didn't feel represented by any of them. It was just equally depressing. It was the disgusting one or the really disgusting one. <laughs> so, I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even see that as an, as an op option, like having more than two candidates, like would be great. By the time people are actually allowed to vote in the U S there's only two candidates. Like it's pretty clear well in advance, which the main candidate for, the Democrats and which the main candidate for the Republicans is going to be. And those are going to be your only two options to vote ever. So, but here people have more of an opportunity to choose from a larger pool of candidates for the same for all offices, for congressional offices and for presidential offices, there's rounds of voting yeah. and they get parties and candidates get eliminated. 
Yeah. Until you get down to the second round. Can for we it, say for it's for like instance. a studio house? Like what? Like a studio house. Like a studio house. What yeah. kind of a studio house? Yeah, like, you know, like they have actors like competing for like to be the best actor in the studio house. Mm. It's a little bit like Maybe that. Maybe to get cast in a role. Yes. You have never had that in the U.S.? Like actors competing to be the next lead oh, of the... I mean, you're talking about like any talent show or any kind of format like that. Kind of like that. Like but a competition I w- where people are eliminated until there's two more. I mean, that's the most... Yes, but you make making live in a house like the, the, the Tyra Banks show with the models. Which one was... Um, next model. America's Next Top Model. Yes. It was like that. It is the first round is exactly like that. Yeah, and the studio house is Colombia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you have the elimination. Okay, so are you calling uh, <laughs> politics in Colombia a reality show? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is kind of a reality show, though. It is. Yeah, just the real. I love just how in this country, even more than in the U.S., just the base, emotional, like raw straight to the heart appeals just come out from the beginning they go directo al corazon they they just go straight to the heart yeah you know, we're hearty it's people it's the it's the colors it's the images it's vamos a vivir sabroso it's like all those kind of stuff i like to drink my tinto in the morning just like you it's just it's so obvious it's, it's so obvious to place. me it's not the only place I, when i was in barcelona they were having elections and political parties were exactly the same as here yeah as in what? As in there's a lot of little ones? No, I was going to say that, that that they were going to, like, they are going to show themselves as, like, I'm a person of the people. You know, I'm, I'm normal. I drink my coffee. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Straight populism. Just pure, yes, pure yeah. populism. Yes, to me, it seemed like that. Like, I want to seem young. I want to seem fresh, not like the political traditional parties, which yeah. is very interesting because none of the traditional political parties which were the liberals and the conservatives um none of them like actually like had anything like literally they are a little bit like in extinction what i was gonna say and why is that like a like a like a reality show like tyra banks next top model tell me is because there is so many parties now, like so much freedom of parties, that everyone is like Bender doing his own casino with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. I know you're talking about Futurama, but I don't remember <laughs> yes. that episode. Yes. So, so it's exactly like that. Petro fought a lot to have his own political party because the only way of getting elected is through a political party. And you have to create it, and there is rules to create a political yeah. party. Which is Colombia Humana, right? Right now, it's back to story. Well, now, but it was always his party, the individual he party. He wanted to have that party. That was his campaign. It was Colombia Humana. That was his campaign, and he wanted to create his party, and he wasn't able to. He wasn't let to create his party okay. at well, some point. Well, I'm confused point. then because I swear if you look on Wikipedia, it says a political party was Colombia Humana and his alliance was Pacto Historico. Yes, after the the previous the previous um, the previous election, he wanted to create a full political party and he wasn't allowed to, and there was a huge mess around it because he wanted to validate the votes that he got for the second round of president as 
votes for the party, like as affiliates to the party. So for all candidates in the party? Or just in the presidential election? They have to do that? You're asking me? I don't know. I'm lost. I, just remember, I mean, we should probably explain, he ran for president once before, yes. which was four yes. years ago yes. when I first moved here in 2017. So, yes. so, or 2018, the year after. So that was the first time. I saw this happen, and yeah, and I, like I, I knew he had kind of a history, but I wasn't really paying that much attention to it at the time. But yeah, because he came back and ran again yeah. this time, and did very well. Clearly, came out on top, actually. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, uh, like just to round out the history. So, I mean, yes, he was part of that guerrilla group, and yes, that M nineteen guerrilla group does have some pretty negative connotations. You could say here in Colombia, they were the ones responsible for the attack on the Palace of Justice in 1985, oh my God. which caused a lot of deaths Sponsored and a lot of chaos. Sponsored by drug money. Sponsored by drug money from the Medellin cartel and uh, who knows <laughs> others. I don't, I, don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm just like lost in there. Like how, how that is happening. How people are not. How? You how? hear about, you hear that and it's like, it doesn't how even make people, sense. How people are like so convinced that he's like such a like big-hearted man or anything like that that has been i don't know like people do believe that i have no idea i have no idea if the well, people actually believe him to be like that i think he was cleared of any actual connection or involvement with the palace of justice attack it just it happened like he was a part of that same group who was responsible that, for that yeah. he was in jail at the time so he might have known about it he might have heard about it i mean Maybe he heard about it and didn't say anything, you know, who knows? But there's never been anything actually like tying him to that event. It just, it happens to be, he was a part of that group. Whatever, like, again, the group was responsible for that. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, oh my God. I mean, you you just have to look up what happened. I mean, the... It's pretty horrific. You would think like the Capitol storming was like scary. Yeah, you have they had a nothing. real Capitol storming uh, here in Colombia. Um, I mean, it was, we, we shouldn't really talk about it too much. It was, they did a whole episode on it in the series Narcos, um, where they showed. I don't think they portrayed like, you know. Dramatized, obviously dramatized, but basically the story is the M19 guerrilla invaded the Palace of Justice. I'm not even sure what the official reason was that they said they did it, but in the show, the dramatized version of it and the suspicion, which has never been proven, is that Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel paid them to attack the Palace of Justice because there was all this evidence against Pablo Escobar stored in the Palace of Justice and, and all these processes everything. in case against him. And they just happened to destroy all of those records specifically yeah. um, during the siege where they were locked inside. They took hostages. They took staff, judges, lawyers, took them hostage. Uh, Murder. Killed a bunch of people. The army eventually ended up storming the building, killing a whole bunch of the, the M-19 guerrillas. Like some hundreds of people were killed and injured. And that, I mean, it's horrific, horrific. And even the army... There were tanks like, firing into the building. Even the army trying to look for the culprits of, the, of, the, of this event also like kidnapped innocent people and also disappeared them, which is a whole other story of like... Um, and what forced, happened after? Forced disappearance in like on behalf of the army of, of the nation. And I mean, look, it's, it's such a mess. Sometimes people disappear into military bases. You know, who knows? <laughs> no, actually, remember <laughs> who knows how that? or why? No, they we actually know how and why because that that 
that is why the commission of the truth was created. Ah, that was Remember? part of the part of the revelations from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission yes. that they had here. Yes. Yes. La who's la Comisión para la Verdad. Comisión especial para la paz. No, ¿sí? para la no. paz no, la Comisión de la Verdad. La Comisión Ah, I sí, see. Otros. So there's <laughs> There's there's too much history here to even like yeah, start to scratch the surface so of. Yeah, so strange. Uh, so there's been all these major reconciliation efforts now between major guerrilla groups like the M19, like the FARC. The FARC was the biggest story because this country was basically a war with itself since the late 1940s, since some other stuff happened. <laughs> That's pretty exciting yeah. that we can talk about some other time. But it's basically like the conflict in its current form kind of started around that time. But not only not like only 1940s, not only 50s, the, 60s. Not only these groups. This is like on behalf of like what the government has do like through the army and like crimes against the population and this is like how to start reconciliation and peace you also have to accept your your fault in it. So this commission was made also to give light into like proven crimes of the government against the people and there is actually an exposition right now in one of the in one of the museums to show like three different cases of like uh forced disappearance or display displacement or falsos positivos no it wasn't falsos positivos no no it's forced, it's forced displacement and disappearance of people on behalf of the army So it's three cases that they were promised to like portray and show everything that happened in them. And the case is there. Yeah. I mean, the reason these guerrilla groups exist at all is because there have been some... We have issues. Pretty nightmarish things perpetrated against people in this country by its own government True. in the past. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to start chronicling all of those, but I mean, it's like I said, this the way I see it, my my totally idiot reading of history of this country without you know understanding anything better i'm trying but it's just basically this country has been at war with itself kind of since the beginning yeah i like i like to hear sometimes like what's your take on this kind of stuff because it's sometimes really hard for one to see like what is happening especially because you're in the middle of it right so your view on some stuff are like it's great Like, I love to do that. Um, just asking you, what are you seeing? Because sometimes you're just, like, so deep into the feeling that you're just excited. That I'm just excited? and No. When when you tell the story, when you're a Colombian, you're excited, already excited. So having your, like, view sometimes is really Oh, excited, like, like, biased. Like, yeah, you have biased. your own yeah, absolutely. thoughts and feelings and history yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of hard because you're taught pain sometimes depending on which side of history you are, right? Yeah, there could you be... You have inherited pain. Things that happened to your family. I mean, mm. on either side of that conflict, mm. things mm. They, they pass down mm. through the genera generational trauma, yeah. like they say. Yeah. Oof. That's why I wanted to watch with you the, the documentary of Jesus Abad. Mm -hmm. the, on Netflix? Yeah, right? the photographer. Yeah, we watched that. Uh, I I was, don't, it was so crucial. I don't know if it's even on uh, Netflix in the U.S. It no might, idea. It might only show up here. But there's a documentary about 
Ektorabad? No. Ektorabad. Ektorabad. Yes. But Ektorabad was the writer. Right? I think that's true. Well, I'm confused. There was another Ektorabad who, who was a journalist or a writer or something. But yeah. this guy was, he was just a photographer, right? Yeah. He was like a journalistic photographer? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he photographed some pretty horrifying evidence of he some of these He has been photographing the world, the internal conflict in Colombia. I think he has been the one that actually portrayed everything that was happening. All the horrors of the world from, like, confrontations between the guerrillas and the army and how they displaced, like, whole populations, a guerrilla retaliating against the town for helping the army, the army retaliating against the population, believing they were guerrilla allies or like hiding guerrillas. So it's just like, it's always just population, like in the, the middle. People are just caught in yeah, the middle. Yeah, all the time. I mean, that's so, always the story of guerrilla warfare. Yep. So just like watching you watch that documentary, I I got so upset yeah. watching that. Yeah. I actually just broke out into tears like by the yes, end. I, I, just, I had to just thinking about you. it now, like I couldn't even handle it. Yeah, that's why that's it was why so I intense. wanted I wanted to like have <sighs> your view and like just thinking about <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's Seriously. like it's like truly devastating. It's truly devastating. And that's I mean that's the true story of the conflict in this country and yeah. just the the devastating consequences that it left behind. There is no science, just death and hunger. And yeah, like so it, it doesn't, I mean, the same thing happened in South Africa. These these issues are almost, are, are so irreconcilable, and apparently that's the lesson they learned in South Africa, is that it's not possible for these things to truly be reconciled. So what they have to do is just expose the truth and identify the victims and give the victims an opportunity to, like, confront their victimizer in public in the tribunal in the court uh-huh. and then but without severe punishment for most of these people because even though they might have committed horrific things it was during a horrific time when everyone was doing horrific things and nobody's going to be able to truly forgive or forget in their heart but by like facing it and confronting it and admitting the truth about everything to the world then it's somehow the demons of like whatever but I would like that. thing, I would, whatever I would like horrible the truth. darkness infested that situation can be exor- exorcised. Th- this is what I'm missing from Petro. I do not believe him. This is why I'm so mistrustful of him and I didn't really didn't want him there. I'm having a revelation here, a revelation. I need to follow through with the things that I have been saying about innovation. Like, I need everyone seated at the table. Otherwise, nothing good is going to come out. And that's why I felt so, like, caught by the poem of I want a president, right? Yeah, I want a president that is a fag. I want a president that has AIDS. I want a president that has lost someone in their arms because of AIDS. Like all this kind of stuff that that point really got me because you need someone that actually understands all these kind of issues. And that guy was in the middle of it. I need to make peace with that and maybe believe that he's actually going to know what is happening because of that past. Maybe this is like karma saying to me literally like you wanted this. You know, I have to believe that and that something is going to come out that is going to be different and truthful 
and this is the piece that I have to make. And it is funny that I was like, wouldn't be amazing to have someone that actually has been a felon to understand like what people do when they are hungry, when their family is nobody, when they have like lack of opportunities, all this kind of stuff. And this is what it comes out, someone with a, with a heavy past. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I have to reconciliate like that kind of thought and that kind of like progressive thinking of like how things are done has to be people that was on the other side. But this is what I said I'm missing. He cannot deny that that happened. It's like literally nowhere. It's like he came down from the heavens. He's not. He has. He comes out from the mud. Don't you think a lot of that is other people kind of idolizing him? Oh, maybe not necessarily his own perspective of him, but there's yes, such a there's such a like hardcore someone is doing it population of people who are trying to transform him into this some kind of ava a avenging angel. They look at him like a prophet. We have a long history of like liking. They look at him like a prophet. Liking, how do you say it in English? Caudillos. Caudillos. Yes. Que significa caudillo. Uh, caudillo is like the soul leader that everyone follows. Mm. That's the caudillismo. So they follow no parties, not anything, but just like one unique leader, a caudillo that can call the masses. Mm. We have a long history of that in here. It's, it's, it's so silly. That's why I believe that parties haven't been actually like strong in a long time. They are just following these caudillos now. It's mm -hmm. just like you just follow the person. And that's why I, I feel like the death of like the political parties in here. Because it's just like believing what this person is doing. And it's like easier to do traceability because people are changing political parties here, like changing skins. Like it's so easy. Okay. So I hate it because it's like now I'm green, now I'm yellow, now I'm orange, and now I'm like multicolor. And I hate that. I get what you mean about the caudillos. That's yeah. exactly what I mean. I didn't have a word for it, but when I was saying the ismos, like the chavismo, the orteguismo, uribismo, they're, they're these like sole patriarchal heads of these ideological clans. Caudillos. Right? So caudillos, that, that's a good word for them. I mean, I would call them like populist leaders or Let, something. Let's, but see, let's see how, like, what's the actual definition? I love having an actual solid word for that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Spanish, baby. <laughs> that's the great thing about Spanish. I mean... <laughs> There's there's a word for everything. There's yeah, but it has to be a <laughs> word. I love English that you can just like put like two words together and have like pancakes. Sure, sure. English is like Legos. You know, the yes, words, they're, they're like, square. They all have the same size connections, so you can plug most of them together into whatever shape you need them to be. Spanish is, is more like, um, I don't know, like algae and water. Like it kind of just swirls around and then kind of forms a shape and then goes yeah, into another shape. Yeah, <laughs> it comes from Latin. More organic. So you have to look for the root. Yeah. Yeah. It's language so with passion. I guess this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. <laughs> Vamos a vivir sabrosos. Oh, I hate that. Yes. I, I hate it. I hate it so much. It's not because I don't believe that people deserve to have like basic rights and like um, live without hunger and have opportunities is because the definition of sabroso here, living sabroso, is such of a bomb. 
and people are going to take it like that. I mean, we should say that was one of the campaign slogans of yes. Petra's vice president was mainly yes. associated with and it. I, She's don't, a, I don't have anything against the new vice president, Francia Marquez. Francia Marquez. I just don't like the leaving Sabroso thing. The, I hate it. The connection with the party vibe. Yes. That's what it, I mean, all those post, all those Vamos Vivir Sabroso posters, they're all they're all colorful, they're bright, they're fun. And I also find <coughs> it very deceiving. Extremely deceiving. A little bit like when I don't know if you guys had that because remember when you're like choosing class president and they say like there's gonna be always a party every we Friday. We always have ice cream every Friday. Something like that. And for me it was like it was always a class president that would promise a pool because i was in hot weather and we didn't have a pool hell yeah and they would always promise i'm gonna a vote for that guy pool i'm voting for him yeah for president so it felt like that it felt deceiving like that we're voting for the party people want a party <sighs> hey what's wrong with that it's want a party all the time I mean, you we should, should we should, should explain. Move to the south of Italy. We should explain. Francia Marquez is is um, Gustavo Petro's running mate, his vice president. She is an African, Afro-Colombian woman. Yes. From is she from Choco? Is she from Pacifico? Actually, from the Pacific Coast? No, I actually. Where's she from? I she's from Bajel, Cauca. Ah. I think so. Okay. I was just like hearing about her, and I was just surprised that she wasn't from Choco. For some reason, I have, thought she was they from have, Choco. Like, good, they have like, uh, like deep social movements and I thought she was from there but I think she's from Valle Cauca, you know, from like close to Cali. So, either, we don't really know. We don't really know. <laughs> but she's not from Choco. Yeah, but she's come campaigning for racial inclusion and diversity she has, and against... She actually has been advocate and like... Racial for, violence. For like the environment. She actually led uh, uh, a civil movement against a port that they wanted to build or something like that. And she won an award about that. And she became one of the most influential people because she's able to like do those kind of stuff. And she has led like actual like civil movements with good reasons, good people like around her, all those kind of stuff. And she, she's an activist community organizer. Absolutely. Type person. No doubt. Like, I do not doubt. No. I do not have any doubts about her as, a like, an actual leader that inspires a lot. Actually, the people that were voting, you know, you have to believe a little bit about your feed, like, what kind of what kind of things you see sometimes. And the people were You mean your more, social feed, like, online? Yes, yes. Yeah. I the, the people that were supporting this side of the campaign were supporting a lot her. They were really supportive of her. Not Petro. That was funny. I thought that was funny. They were following her. Like, she actually, like, summed up a lot of votes for Petro to win this. Yeah, I mean, I noticed it, it seemed like a lot of the attention at a lot of these events was almost more on her than it was on him. He was the candidate. But yeah. she came along with him, which for a lot of people was like sold because that's the kind of person we want making these decisions in government. It's, it's just, un, you know, unfortunate that, that they then associate that with the other mandatario, the other person who's going to be actually mm -hmm. making the decisions. The vice president, I mean, at least in the United States, it's largely a ceremonial role. I mean, it almost doesn't mean anything. It's just there to like promote social until causes. Until your president dies. Until, 
<laughs> until Gustavo Petro or mysteriously drops dead resigns. six months into his administration. How many vice presidents has the U.S. have to like put as president? At least I know two. After Kennedy dies and after a yeah. tricky dick I mean, resigns. There's the two that I remember in the 20th century. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. Um, Gerald Ford took after took over after Richard Nixon. Yeah. Lyndon Johnson took over. Uh, you have to give me points for calling him tricky dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get America points for that. Yeah. <coughs> Counts towards your green card. hey Um. <laughs> so... What was I going to say? It, it it was important. It felt important, but I lost it. Anyway, we're you talking about friends. This is what I talk about, like, like when you start, like, going about America and, like, what happens is just, like, you get, like, really drawn to it, to the facts, to the details, and there there's something there. There's something there, man. You ask me, you ask me about details. I'm like, I would rather stay out of details and, like, keep a calm, serene mind and try to, like actually choose and like think and all this kind of stuff but you get like in a rant when you talk about politics in the u.s and it doesn't happen only to you it happens to everyone it's like it's like you have to go to the I mean, to the it's juicy very energizing. details <laughs> it's very interesting i find it very interesting and well, americans are all lawyers didn't you know that honey americans are all they have a rule book with them they go everywhere <laughs> they go so they can open it up and explain to you the rules about this thing that you're doing right now It's called the Constitution. <laughs> it's the, honey, it's called the Constitution. <laughs> we have a Constitution in this country. We have a Bill of Rights, <laughs> the freedom of speech, right to bear arms. I owe. That's a big one right now. But we're not talking about that tonight. <laughs> Thank God. We're just talking about the rel relatively... Is there anything else to talk about that? Well, the relatively less inflammatory topic of politics in Colombia. <laughs> yes. Uh, because it was very inflammatory you know, a week ago when everyone, well, when we didn't have a president. And Very the, inflammatory. The election the was just three, four dirty. days ago. What? It was, there, it was just over this last weekend. It was like four days ago. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Last Sunday. Yeah. Which elections are on Sunday here, which is odd. Our elections are always on a Tuesday. Okay. Mine is odd. You have people working on a Tuesday. Sundays Tell me about are it. not working days. This is... I mean, this is a debate in the U.S. Like, why are it, and it has to do with the original voting laws? Like, because it took <laughs> are they in the Constitution? Because farmers, this is when they were enshrined, and they haven't been changed since then. In like 1780, you know, it took uh -huh. a farmer two days uh -huh. to get from wherever he lived into the main town. Like, generally, you could get this many farmers to come and vote on this thing. It took them like two days, from like Sunday to Tuesday. For some reason, that's when they did it because they had Sunday off for church. I don't know. But so that's what the original, the way I understand it, that's how they were set up in the beginning. And they haven't been changed since then. No, honey, because you cannot break the spell of the Constitution. If no. You, you cannot. It's a spell, even it's like this. It's a spell. It's like, uh-huh. Break it. Break the spell. You can't, can't do it. You can't break the spell. Constitution, it just stops the hand. It can't go through. Nick Cage tried. <laughs> he, he just tried to steal it. <laughs> Wait, did he try to destroy the Constitution in that movie? Did they have to do something to it? How many how many movies have we watched that they destroyed the Constitution? Did Nicolas Cage and National Treasure have to like hold it, it up to like a uh, an ultraviolet light or a candle yeah. or soak it in lemon juice or set it on fire or something? Yes, yeah, I don't remember. Like that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Anyway, just joking around, just joking around <laughs> about how nobody seems to think the Constitution can be changed, which I wanted to bring up because 
We have changed. They changed the, the constitution in Colombia several times. There was one in eighteen sixty or something, and then there was another one recently in wait seventies or nineties. It was ninety one, right? Está la del ochenta y nueve. Está la del noventa y uno. Yeah, it's like the constitution of nineteen ninety one or nineteen ninety two. Yeah, something. but they they do assemblies around like changing the constitution to like grant different rights, like for example, the right for abortion. Or like um, rights for elderly people to have, like for example, a pension on behalf of their kids. Or like um, Uribe changed the constitution. Remember to to stay be, in office. To stay in office. Which is a little bit alarming when you're watching it from outside the country. When a president starts changing the laws and the constitution so they can stay in office longer, you go, oh well. They're they're done. It's <laughs> starting. <laughs> they're over yeah, there. but the next government actually changed it so it wouldn't happen yeah, again. Yeah, they removed it. So now presidents can only serve one term in office. Yeah. For now, until yeah. they change the constitution again. I mean, there's gonna be another Uribe. I have no idea. <coughs> he was able to do it because they excuse me. So we have Sorry, I had two COVID rounds recently. of two rounds of voting. We got that. We have like Different kinds of like apparatus of the state and like uh, resources to like voting because we're idiots and we need more voting. First round, everyone comes, vote for whoever they want. If of which there are like 15 candidates, yes, it's like a primary. We have primaries, but only inside the parties. Yeah, you have so to if be you're affiliated outside the party, to a party to vote. You can't vote that, in those right? primaries. Okay. Yeah, okay. this it's it's the all the people voting on all of the candidates yes. to see who bubbles to the top. The only way of winning on first round if is if you have 50% plus one. The last time that we had that, it was with Uribe. He won on first round. We haven't had a candidate that does that. That's very interesting. So even his election was a landslide. Yeah. First time. First time. Yeah. And um, if no one has that, there has to be a second round with the two major uh, voting places on the on the first round, which our second round was Petro and the <laughs> and our poor Rodolfo the Hernandez. Endlessly entertaining Rodolfo Hernandez. He was endlessly entertaining his mother too. She's like a thousand years old. Also, he's like five hundred years. Or he was. He's, he's seventy-seven. Yeah, and his mom was like ninety-five. So Donald Trump, when he got elected, was seventy, and people, I think, he was the oldest president who'd ever been elected until Joe Biden. <laughs> so, but I, I just mentioned Donald Trump because um, Rodolfo Hernandez was, was so much, so much like Trump in so many ways. <laughs> They were doing the comparison because he declared himself so rich that he didn't have any kind of like interest in being rich for the presidency. That he didn't care about politics, his that he hated all politicians. His platform was that. I hate all politicians and all political like kind of like um, races, alliances, all those kind of stuff and fuck every politician. And that was his campaign. I mean, it was even the name of the political party. It was League of Anti-Corruption yeah. Governors or something. Yeah. Gobernantes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Fuck every candidate. Yeah. He was like very, Fuck everyone. Very, was he was, he his was very in fact emphatic in not making any alliances with any of the other candidates because he hated he hated them all. Yeah. And that was the big feature of this election, right? Was the alliances of the political parties. So they all lined up Curious all of the enough. all of the more left wing parties lined up behind Pacto Historico. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> to all collectively support Gustavo Petro. Mm -hmm. And then all of these more conservative right-wing parties lined up behind Federico Gutierrez, Fico. Oh, here, my God. He looked, he looked like a troglodyte. I'm sorry. But he looked unfortunate like unfortunate face for a presidential candidate. He Let's was, be honest. He didn't have an unfortunate face. He had also unfortunate hair, unfortunate speech, unfortunate everything. He unfortunate opinions. He didn't talk like a normal person. He even looked like he needed more university. Yeah, so it's a little confusing and odd why they would put someone like that forward uh. for like their main representative on, of these of these more conservative parties. Um, he had enough votes, you know. He had like. But yeah, en enough people supported him in earlier rounds of voting to yeah. to get him up there. So yeah. I mean, who knows? I like I don't claim to understand the. Colombian mindset, why why that would be particularly attractive, but I just looked at him as a candidate like he's completely uninteresting. He was an uninteresting person. Um, I don't know if you have that, but there was actually one like really interesting stuff because navigating through all these political candidates, platforms, all those kind of stuff is a little bit confusing, like who has the time, right? Um, there is a magazine that did actually like a Cupid game to choose your candidate. Mm -hmm. So it would make you like choose between questions and like true, false, like what do you think is like better, like qualified, these kind of things, like one from five, blah, whatever. Okay. And they would show you your candidate. Sure. I remember when you did that. Yeah, it was amazing. Like it's so hard to like navigate politics in here and like to know everything that everyone is doing, that even that is available. <laughs> and who was your candidate? I don't remember. Uh, because I said that I wanted a quota of women, I got Ingrid Betancourt, but I don't like her, like her character. And the second one that was actually really close to her, it was just like a 1% of difference. It was, uh, Fajardo. Sergio Fajardo. Yeah. Center. Dead center. We have that here. I don't yeah. know. Do you have that in the U.S.? Uh, it's hard to even say. I mean, most if you, of... If you don't know, then you don't have it. No, I mean, the few... No, 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 no. Like, the major parties are lined up, like, on opposite sides of the political spectrum. There's no other even conceivable major opposition who they would even let compete with them okay. at this point. Okay. The system is basically rigged in favor of the Democratic and Republican Party. There are other parties. They exist. They're allowed to exist. But the way that national politics is conducted in the country, they they... Somehow, they just never get any... Wait. Significant percentage of the vote. Didn't AOC got elected because of these not aligned parties? Mm. I think I saw, like, breaking down the house, the documentary on Netflix was about that. And she was the only candidate that won that they supported because their their idea is to actually pump up candidates that are not aligned in that political spectrum and, like, have actually different people from the you know, the apparatus of the politics in the U.S. And there is, like, these people, like, supporting, like, these local candidates in order to make him, like, and AOC got elected, elected through that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things... Knocking I was, out the house. That's the name of the documentary. Yeah, I don't really remember the story of how she got elected, but, like... I watched the documentary. Yeah, I think Thank just... Thank you, Netflix. 
Netflix has some pretty awesome documentaries. Oh yeah, on the edge of on the edge of democracy. Fantastic to know about the the history, the political history of Brazil. Mm. Fantastic, and the two Catalonias. Amazing to understand like what's happening with ec extremism in parties like everywhere in the world. Great documentaries. Yeah, they published that Oliver Stone documentary about Ukraine. Remember when they had their revolution? Yeah, back in 2012 or whatever. I haven't watched it was. that one. It's a good Ukraine on fire. Oh yeah, yeah it's it's like spellbinding. Wow. But then you you realize that everything that's happening now has just completely undone any progress that like the people made towards having their own government in that country. Damn. And now they're you know being tilted towards Russia, and they may never they may slide into those jaws and never come out again. Who knows how that's going to end? Talking about sub heavy subjects to know going to, right? <laughs> talking about <laughs> talking about lighthearted topics to cover. Yeah. So, so the election I need happened. to believe my words. Yes. Elections happen. Gustavo Petro on. was elected president of Colombia. He was elected president. He will take office at the end of August, right? Or beginning of August? 7th. August 7th. So, like, right around... Um, 10 de agosto. 7 de agosto. Ah, same day. That's that's some kind of uh, what? commemoration, right? 7 de agosto? Yeah, of course. Uh, remind me I'm I uh, oof. some battle some battle some <laughs> document was signed and some historical event that I can't recall not a historian just fascinated by Colombian history I mean it's one of our national days and when the president takes office but 20th I'm a bad of, Colombian 20th of July is, is Independence Day is Independence Day yes is 7 de Agosto 7th of August is that Battle of Boyacá no idea. I'm is Independence sorry. Day the I'm Battle of Boyacá? Oh my God! <laughs> what a bad patriot you are. Talking about the the patriot the patriotism <laughs> article that we watched. You should be more patriotic. You should know your national history. We just I, found out how you. Can I have be an measured. excuse. I'm just a dumb colonialist Yankee pig. So know. the point is, there's not going to be a dictatorship in Colombia. This is not what's happening here. It no tried. one's, no one's taking over the government. Country. There's no coup. Colombia actually has one of the strongest democracies in the region. So it has the a lot to be... The only country that has never had like an actual dictator. I know Rojas Pinilla tried. Tried. But then he went out and, and, and let the country like go on. Many things were horrible during his government. He was authoritarian. He was not a nice guy, Rojas Pinilla. You're saying he was or was he wasn't? Was not. He was not. Was not a nice That's guy. what I'm saying. He did the horrible stuff. But he also did great stuff. Like brought the color television to Colombia. Like the color television. Ta -da. Ta -da. That's, what, that's what the dictatorship of Gustavo Rojas Pinilla is remembered <laughs> for. Bringing <laughs> the color so television to Colombia. Also, you know, killing a few students and disappearing some people and closing journalistic offices. You know, the usual. But, but he didn't last long. He didn't last long. Just a few years. I'm not, Four I years have, at the most. It is, it is so unrelevant that we you don't, don't have it. Yeah. Exactly what years it was thing. or anything. Like, oh, yes. Rojas Pinilla, the general. It was something like 1958 to 1962 or something like that. That's a full period. Of yeah, it was, it was a, he was there for, I thought he was only there for a couple of years, but I was reading about him the other day. It was actually hmm. more, I think three or four years he hmm. was there. Hmm. But he was the only, and he took over in the wake of all the craziness after Gaetan was murdered and then, you know, years of violence in the Bogotazo and everything. Jesus, you have studied him more than I have. Yeah, and so he somehow took over. Um, 
and then started really kind of trying to consolidate power. But then eventually it was actually a junta of military generals who removed him from power. But then, curiously enough, they gave the power back to the people. They held elections after that, and they let the democratically elected representatives return to office, and they didn't take over the government. Ay, Colombia, I love you. This is the, the kind of things that happen only here. Yeah. It's like we couldn't even have a proper tyrant. Couldn't even have a proper dictator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just had to screw that up too. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Also, like, it's one of the only countries in the in the region that actually their currency is, t is still the same. Every peso of the region, you know, the Peruvian peso, the Ecuadorian peso, the Argentinian peso, all of them have cra crashed. Well, it hasn't crashed, but it's been severely devalued. I mean, thousands of pesos to the dollar. Well, Ecuadorian peso, out. Peruvian peso ceased to exist a long time ago, then went for soles and then dollars. Which I was surprised to learn when I got to Ecuador. I opened up my phone and I tried to look up the currency exchange rate um, for dollars, and it said something like dollars uh, to the... <laughs> To the Ecuadorian peso or something. Or it's a different name. It has a different name. I don't yeah. remember. Um, that's when I learned that Ecuador is dollarized and they are on the U.S. dollar yeah. as their official currency. Well, unofficially, Venezuela is doing the same. Venezuelan peso also. Venezuelan peso crashed yeah. recently. Colombian peso know. still exists. You Colombian know? peso, very Me strong. Mexican, Mexican and Colombian peso. Mexican peso is a little weaker. Yes. Your peso punches a little harder. Yes, but... Pesos, our pesos ex still exist. That's the point. That's the point. Yeah, it didn't. It, you, point is that something right is happening here. We don't know what it is. I mean, it's always, Colombia is just amazing because like in an ocean of just crazy unstable governments all around the region, you know, especially Central America, mm. Colombia has always been like to uh, just a cursory kind of reading of history. Colombia has been pretty stable in terms of um, like democratic centralized leadership. There was actually, we were talking about like why there wasn't like a proper dictator here and it was because of the violence, the internal conflict. It's like, I like to say Colombians are too feisty to let anyone take over their <laughs> government. <laughs> Everyone's just a little too spicy here to let a dictator really Everyone take is over. Just like they would so be like, ready to just like you think you deserve, it. go out and what? Everyone is just like, no one is going to have it. You have seen them. And it's like, we're going to do this in the Congress. Blocked all the streets. Blocked the intermunicipal roads. What she means is when they, like, for example, when they proposed these pretty draconian tax reforms in 2019, around the end of 2019. Just like that. <clears throat> the whole country collapsed. It just everything this People massive protest broke out everywhere every major city there was crazy violence um because people just weren't having it yeah people here <laughs> that's don't just, have it that's just what happens here and people people protest for real in colombia and you kind of got to respect that like yeah. when they got to protest like they're going to do it peacefully and sometimes they even do it in these amazing silent marches where nobody says or does anything. It's just this mass of people walking down the street, which makes, to me, makes way more of a point than any like violent flaming riot ever could. If you get that many people to yeah. just shut up Normal and people. walk down the street, everyday people. Everyday people. You like see, you see, hundreds, old thousands ladies, of them. moms, um, 
rich families, poor families. You can actually see that here. Holding candles, walking oh, down yeah. the street. Yeah. Like it's crazy yeah. to watch the videos of yeah. this because I haven't I haven't been present for any of those specifically, but like I remember reading about them when they were signing the peace deal with the FARC. Like people yeah. were having these vigils, just thousands of people. The oof, the walks of no more FARC. It was the peace marches of the country. That one is just, it was unbelievable. Even my dad, that has that was never like politically active or anything, he went out. Yeah, I mean, that that's how strongly that issues related to the internal conflict like touch people here. Like everyone's lives yeah, like have I been affected by this in one way or another. And I, in, a, in, a, in a weird way, I mean, the guerrilla is also like, a symptom of like how people, how much people are ready to just like go out, go out and take matters into into their own hands. I mean, of course, it's a reaction to sustained injustice. But it's a reaction. That's what I'm saying. Like we were, like we were, the other day talking between each other, like how this is not happening massively in the U.S. You see that people are like deeply affected about some stuff. But you don't see them all going out. There's a lot of pessimism, like from the more conservative establishment and from the political center in Colombia about what a Petro presidency might mean. But what you're basically saying is nothing to let's do. Let's wait and see. Nothing to do. Nothing to do. It's a fact. It's a fact. Al mal que no tiene cura, hacerle la cara dura. So yeah. like the, evil, the evil that you cannot fix, you have to have a hard face for it. Yeah. Like we're nobody's jumping on any. Pol political bandwagon here and saying like oh you know we we believe in this hope and change you know like exactly like i say obama was promising hope and change mm -hmm. and instead gave us just more of the same you know and everyone is that same energy that same kind of youthful progressive energy around barack obama that i feel and i notice around gustavo petro mm -hmm. and francia marquez mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um that kind of unreasoning like yes we did it together and I'm here to tell everything you... Everything is going to be different now. Everything's going to be different. Not. It's all going to change. Obama only expanded the foreign wars. The economic situation was tilted towards becoming much worse. He bailed out the know, big banks after the economic recession in 2008. I don't know if like... It meant, was not hope and change. I don't know if it meant like actually like betterment of like basic... Like if it actually had like betterment of the basic like line in like what people or like how people were living in the u.s i have no idea i mean it gave you a, it gave you a certain optimism like at the time i no, no, i no, fell like for it 100 percent. actually like basic things like uh lifted out of poverty gave more access i have no idea about those numbers that's usually the idea right uh but the challenges like in here are just like so tremendous. like outrageous yeah yeah they are tremendous so challenges. big that that's why i say Vamos a vivir sabroso, let's live sabroso. It's deceitful. It's very deceitful. Yeah, when what you really need, need to all work on this together. Yeah. We need to not just be yes. partying away the future. Everyone says a different thing on how like to fix it. I'm actually pro um, private companies investing a lot of money because you actually have a wheel. Not like, mm. oh, let's change all the illegal crops to something. If you don't have a company backing up, like, 
buying those crops, then they just have crops that they are never going to sell. Yeah, and you've in you've worked with a company, you've seen firsthand how how investment in some of these rural communities and the impact doing that actual that doing have. like changing their formal employment status and and changing crops and all, all those kind of things just causes some of the... No, not changing crops, but actually giving like opportunities, like for example, basic education for kids that don't have like good schools, mm. uh, like you say, formal employment, um, an actual like, um, like way of like selling the things that you have because some people just like um, plant stuff, but they don't have where to sell it, like, this company would ensure that they would buy everything that you produce. Yeah, helping helping entrepreneurs be more successful, like as a small business and, and to grow their businesses. And capturing, like also like uh, funneling like uh, investments from like um, foreigners and outside clients into actually do different kind of things in like every territory there. So I don't know, that, that for me, it's so enlightening. Um, I do recommend a book about that. It's called uh, The Prosperity Paradox and how private companies and actually having a business around like solving social issues and community issues are more effective uh, than just like NGO investment in just like a water supply or like giving food or mm -hmm. just like like these kind of things like which is the philanthropic um approach to solving these kind of problems of people right like in africa or like india or like all these kind of places uh if you have a business in the middle of it then you have a sustainable solution that can actually like fix more problems because it brings prosperity so very recommended book about like how to fix this kind of stuff. So we, we only have a few minutes left here. Um, so, I mean, how we, we can say that, I don't know, what can we say? I don't, I don't know, I don't know enough. I'm not. We have a saying in here. Amanecerá y veremos, dijo el ciego. There's always a saying. There's yeah. always a dicho. <laughs> Explain this one. <laughs> say it one more time. The dawn will come. No, the sunrise will come. And we'll see. The blind man said. The sunrise will come and we'll see, said the blind man. Uh-huh. Well, I think that's the perfect note to end this on. Yes, we don't know. We just have to see when the dawn comes. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it'll be great. Maybe. I mean... Hopefully. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of very positive-sounding ideas about what Colombia should do. Maybe Too many, if you ask me. Yeah, maybe too many. Too many. Maybe a lot to accomplish in four years in, during a, what will surely be a politically embattled presidency. Yeah. There will be lots of opposition and lots of conflict. And that's good, always. Always, as always, there should be. that's the point of it. Yeah, otherwise one, we can't just have one person getting everything they want. But, yeah. I mean, maybe some of those ideas will really work out. I mean, they want to yeah. get... Colombia on more green energy. They want to stop exporting petroleum, which is maybe not the best idea to do Colombia quickly. Colombia already <laughs> has green energy. Oh, 80% hydropower. I mean, I, I quote that statistic all the time. It's amazing. 80% of the electricity in Colombia, I, I don't know how accurate exactly that is, but it is. 
a huge amount of electricity is generated by hydropower here in Colombia. Yes. Not the burning of any kind of fossil fuels or anything, no. which is tremendous. And we don't do that. I mean, unfortunately, most countries don't have that option, but no. it's amazing. We just what, have a lot of water. <laughs> there's a lot of water in Colombia, which is a whole other political issue. Fortune and blessed. But not for Hashtag tonight. Fortune and blessed. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> so tell us the saying one more time in Spanish, el dicho. Amanecerá y veremos, dijo el ciego. Amanece veremos. Amanecerá. Amanecerá veremos. Dijo el ciego. Dijo el ciego. And we'll leave it on that for tonight. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lena Yukuma. If you want to find more like this, more podcasts, documentaries, articles, essays, you can find them on Substack at gonenative.substack.com where you can subscribe for free. All my content is free and always will be. Uh, you can find Gone Native on YouTube, youtube.com slash gone native, where you can watch the documentary The Chocolate Dream about cacao farming around the Colombian region of Necocli and how it's helping to transform lives and futures and opportunities there and many other places around Colombia. I'm on social media at Gone Native Media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can send me a message, let me know how you like this content, uh, if you enjoy it, if there's anything else in particular you'd like to see. Um, we do a lot of traveling around Latin America and around the region, so I'm hoping to get a lot more um, interesting content out to you soon. So uh, again, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Saludos.